Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And hello, genies, and welcome to America's Family History Show, Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. My name is Fisher. I am your radio root sleuth on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. And this episode is brought to you by BYU TV's Relative Race. Season 5 is happening right now. And in fact, I'm going to be talking later on in the show to Keith from Team Green about his experience in the program. And of course, you can catch it every Sunday night at 9 o'clock. Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific, and this weekend it is day five they're going to feature, and it's it's been an emotional season, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on as we talk to Keith. Also today, we're going to talk to Saru Brierly. He was a keynote speaker at Roots Tech in Salt Lake City, Utah, back in, uh, I guess it was the last day of February, first day of March, somewhere in there. He is the guy, of course, that you may have seen featured in the movie Lion, separated from his family on a train in India wound up adopted in Australia and eventually by using Google Satellite was able to identify his hometown from what he remembered, went back and found his family. It's an amazing story and I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing from Saru Brierly later on in the show. But right now it's time to check in with my good friend David Allen Lambert. He is the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. Hello David, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm back from the nation's capital, and one of my news stories I'll tell you later for Family History News kind of ties into D.C. So let's start out in Newmarket, Tennessee, where the Highlander Center, which is known for its great resources in civil rights, has been lost. There was a fire in March that took out this building, which had a large collection of civil rights speeches, artifacts, and memorabilia. Oh. And it's, it's a terrible loss, Fish. This is some place where Reverend Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and Ella Roosevelt were at workshops and training sessions that helped with the civil rights movement, and countless things have been lost. And I'm not sure how much has been digitized, but anytime we lose an archives like this, we lose part of the nation's history. Boy, and, and you really hit it on the head there. We really need to get things digitized, not only on a level with archives, but with our own stuff. Well, and it's true. I think even your own family archives is so valuable. Mitch Goldstone hit it with digitizing family photos. I mean, you just never know when disaster is going to strike. Yep, exactly. Well, my next story really kind of ties in with the mythical figure of Sherlock Holmes. Fingerprints would have been something he would have used when working in Scotland Yard, but are now fingerprints not as reliable as, say, DNA, which is our internal fingerprint, if you will. Uh, a great story, Fish, that you put up there on Extreme Genes, I think, really touches on how law enforcement, and as well as genealogists, have been using DNA to identify people from the past or solving crimes that they have done recently with the Golden State Killer. Well, this is interesting because they talk about some of the challenges in actually creating a standard for fingerprints to be useful in crime. And there have actually been convictions thrown out because of mismatches of fingerprints. And now they're questioning whether DNA might turn out to be the same kind of thing eventually. It just goes to show you that technology keeps on improving decade by decade. And what we're getting now is a lot more science behind it. And, you know, it's kind of hard to fake your DNA. Exactly. So on March 29th, the president signed into law Vietnam War Veterans Day. Now, March 29th historically was the end of the Vietnam War of 1973, and there were thousands of people that went to the Vietnam War Memorial. I happened to be in D.C. last week, and I only stayed about two and a half blocks from it. So that evening, after I got done working, 
I walked over, and there were many, many bouquets, many, many remembrances, photos, candles lit, and it was really touching. Well, that night I took some of the pictures, put them on my Twitter account, DL Genealogist, and I got an idea. Does anybody have anybody on the wall they never have been able to visit? I'll pay respects and do a rubbing. Well, I had two people respond, Fish, and that was great. But catch this. One of the ones that responded was Jim Lambert of Brooklyn, New York. Well, Jim Lambert is my DNA cousin. In fact, with Y DNA out of 111 markers, we share 100. Doesn't sound like we're kissing cousins. No. Because our most most recent ancestor lived 20 generations ago. But we have the same last name, same country of origin. Well, Jim asked me to do a favor. I went out and found his cousin, Dennis Michael Lambert. He died in 1969 in Vietnam. Now I have a family connection to the Vietnam Wall. Even though it's many generations ago, we have the same Y-DNA. So when I go to the wall now, it's personal. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, David. Well, the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower arriving in Plymouth, Massachusetts is fast approaching. We're less than a year away now, and the celebrations are already gearing up. In fact, today I'm lecturing to executives from KLM Airlines and the ambassador to the Netherlands from the United States. But the celebrations going on in England, all over America, as well as Plymouth, and the New England Historic Geological Society is a proud sponsor of these events and to be taking part in the celebration. And, and what's fun about this is there are so many events happening starting this year, and the mm-hmm. Boston Globe recently published them, and we've linked to it at ExtremeGenes.com. So if you're looking to participate, that's a great place to go. All right. Thank you so much, David. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great talk today. Thank you, sir. All right. And coming up next, we're going to talk to a man who I discovered in my DNA matches, and I had no idea who he was. It didn't make sense. You know, many years ago, when I first started doing my research, and long before DNA came along, I started doing databases of people who descended from my common ancestors, going back to my first greats, my second greats, sometimes even my third. And my wife would say to me, why are you doing that? Why don't you just focus on your direct lines and all that? Why are you spending all this time on that? And I said, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting to get a perspective from the ancestors, say, had they lived to be 150 years old, to see what all the descendants did. And in fact, it turned into an interesting technique by going back and pulling forward. I found all kinds of information about the family in the hands of these various descendants. So it turned into a technique that was very practical as well as being being very interesting. So I've had these databases, and now with DNA, when it comes along, if I find a match, I can typically figure out who that person is, where they match from, what lines they come through. So back in February, I was getting ready to go on a trip to Mexico, and I was due to fly out the next day, and I got a sudden match for a second cousin. Now, as you probably realize, in DNA and in the family history research world, second cousin is pretty close. And it was a very high confidence level. So I pushed on the button for shared matches and found that all the matches we shared were descendants of my father's mother's parents, the Waldron family. And so I thought, I don't recognize this name. Who is this person? And I went through my database and thought, yeah, there's nobody here that fits the bill. So I reached out and said, hey, I have this list of descendants, and I know that you're a descendant of this couple. Who are you? And the response I got back was, I can't tell you. I was adopted. Can you help me? And that man named Lauren Smith is on the line with me right now. And uh, Lauren, it was really quite a fun day that day, wasn't it? 
it was a great day. It was an absolutely great day for me. Thank you, Scott. The world opened up. Well, it was fun for me, obviously, because I was prepared for something like this, because I did have this database. And I wanted to have this discussion with you, not so much from saying, oh, look at all we were able to accomplish, but to talk about it from your perspective of what was going on in your life and also how it affected me that day, because there was a lot that we did together. And of course, we've never met. So this was a really interesting experience. Let's start with you. Your story is you were adopted. Correct. I was adopted in 1953 with a closed adoption, so I was unable to access any of those records. Yeah, and you so were born had, you were born in Brooklyn, which means you're in New York where they've had those closed records laws forever. Now, hopefully they're going to be correcting that this year in the state legislature, but it really meant you had absolutely no clue where to look. Exactly. I had no idea. My parents had said, you know, you were English, and that's pretty much all I knew. I didn't know my parents' name or anything. I knew a little bit, and that was all. This really bothered me, too, because I was going to be leaving the next day. I'm packing. I'm trying to wrap up. I'm trying to get all my extreme genes things done and everything else to shut down the house and take off for 10 days. And suddenly here's this match. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't leave this guy hanging for a week and a half. And so we were able to go to town and figure this out. And you were trusting enough when I asked you to to let me see your DNA stuff now. This is kind of an interesting question a lot of people get when they're asked to share their DNA. Is this somebody I want to share it with? Of course, you didn't know me from Adam, and I didn't know you either. But you said yes, and off we went. Why is it you felt that you could trust me to look at this material and have access to that? Good question. Because, Scott, I was so in the dark for 65 years, and I could just tell in your voice, uh, you know, that you were genuine and sincere. I, I just felt it. And we were a match. I mean, so it wasn't just, we weren't random people, right? Exactly. We weren't just random people. We were a family. DNA proved that. And, and I was new. I mean, I really, when I first did this, I couldn't have imagined that it would have happened so quickly and so thoroughly. And when you called me, I was like, wow. You know, <laughs> I saw the matches, but I wasn't ready for it. But I said, let's go with it because I had been waiting 65 years for answers. And you came out and said, hey, let's explore this. You're a cousin. Where did you come from? All of a sudden you popped up. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's what I wanted. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted. Which is why you so, did the test, right? I mean, you were encouraged by your kids, as I understand it. Exactly. My kids were saying this summer, do it. Just go do it. And I did. And have been overjoyed at the results. You know, and it's it's so much fun to do this. And, and the reason we bring this up is because there are going to be people like you, Lauren, who come along and they're going to connect with somebody and they don't know quite what to do. And there are going to be people like me who may receive an unexpected relative showing up among the matches and have to decide, well, you know, how do I help this person? Do they want to be helped? Right. And right. we have to kind of make decisions along these lines because you really have no idea. But that was the advantage of having that descendants database. I mean, I knew that you, <laughs> that you weren't on the list. It's just not that far back. And it's like, wait a minute, who is this guy? And, yeah. and so just to summarize what happened that day very quickly is you, Lauren, saw a DNA match that was very high. And you said it was a first cousin. Right. 
that's what they had said in Ancestry. They called it a first cousin. They called well and up to you, a first cousin match. But when we looked at the yeah, when we looked at the uh, the number of centimorgans that you shared with this person, it was like, oh no no no, that is a half sister. And blew my mind. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that when you <laughs> said that to me, I was like half sister. You blew my mind. I was like. This has gone now into the stratosphere well beyond what I had ever thought or ever dreamed was possible. It's just been an exciting journey. And what was fun was she had her family tree up and attached to her DNA. The mother's side was uh, Midwest, and her father's side was from Panama. And as it turned out, your matches that did not tend to match to my side or to this branch of my family tended to come from Panama, which told us you'd found your birth father right there. Right. And what was fun about it was that there was such a clean separation. There wasn't, you know, a couple of people from the same area with the same background. There's the Panama side, and then there was our side. Right. And, and so then it was just a question of figuring out, okay, which side did who come from? And when we figured out, okay, the birth father is the person from Panama because of the matches there, that meant that your match to me came from your birth mother's side. And right. because of the matches that you shared with my grandmother's sister-in-law, we were able to identify, okay, these were your grandparents. They had four daughters. And because of the fact that the one daughter happened to work in New York, in the Brooklyn area, for the airlines, just like your birth father did at the same time, and then eliminating some of the other sisters for other reasons, we were able to determine who your birth mother actually was within the same day. And what really blew me away was that William Hardy Waldron, my grandfather, was a policeman in a town, which is the county seat of my, my county, and is really only four or five miles from my home. In New so, Jersey, yeah. In New Jersey. But what was amazing to me is when I first saw your picture come up, I'm recognizing my great uncle, Bill Waldron. I'm going, wait a minute, this guy, I'm certain he has to come through this line. And then the DNA uh, validated it because you also descended from the family of his wife. So that made it really simple. So, you know, Lauren, it was a it was a great day, obviously. But I, I think the lesson for both of us is, you know, for people who are researching and and have their information out there to be ready to jump in and help when the opportunity comes and have that descendant information available. And then from your side, it's, I guess, would be to say, hey, allow people to be part of it and and get involved because you don't have enough answers to do it yourself. Well, exactly, Scott. And for me, it was enlarging the circle. It was a, it was enlarging the circle that I knew was there for 65 years, but I didn't know it. So for me, meeting you was the first step and enlarging the circle and trusting the process. That's right. I'm new to this, so I had no knowledge. I mean, I knew the centimorgans were a measurement, but I didn't realize until you and I started talking what that meant. It was an eye-opening experience, just the whole, it's been a real experience. And it was so fun when I heard that you actually made a connection with your half-sister, and she's really invited you into her life in Miami, Florida. How cool is that? That is great. I just was chatting with her online about two hours ago. Wow. Um, so we, we stayed in touch. We're in contact. And it's a very warm and friendly relationship we're developing. And I'm overjoyed. And again, the circle just enlarges even more. Yeah. From you to Susanna and Susanna's other half, my other half sister, Christina, and her son and daughter I've uh, gotten friendly with. 
and I'm so happy that the circle is enlarging, that I'm finding family that I didn't know I had. And this is all in addition to your adopted family that uh, hasn't lost an ounce of love as a result of it. Not at all. It's all good. They're all very supportive. My family's very supportive of it. Well, I think it's been a joy for both of us and uh, an awful lot of fun, too, to put together the puzzle pieces. And hopefully that legislation in New York will pass this session so that you can get access to your original birth certificate coming up next January. Yeah, the governor in New York says he wants to do it. And it's, it's been in front of the legislature for a year now. And I, I think this year, this year could be a good year. That would be and awesome. They will, open up, they will open up certain records on unclosed adoptions for folks. He's Lauren Smith from New Jersey. He's my second cousin, who I didn't know till just a couple of months ago. Lauren, thanks for your time. It's been great to get to know you, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else we can develop on your family history. Thanks, Scott. I would, too. I'm looking forward to more doing more research. And at Roots Tech this year in Salt Lake City, Utah, Saru Brierly was one of the keynote speakers. He was that young boy from India who got on a train at five years old, and never saw his family again. He was adopted out to Australia, and then eventually, using Google Satellite, located his hometown from memory and reconnected with his family. It was the basis for the movie Lion. Here's my interview with Saru Brierly. Welcome. Thank you for it's having great me. great to have you at Roots Tech and uh, having to hear your story from you firsthand. First of all, what did you think of the actor that played you? Um, amazing. He, uh, Dev Patel, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly thought, you know, they were going to choose Wesley Snipes <laughs> to, to, to um, embody me, but I'm really happy and glad that it was uh, Dev Patel because uh, he did a, an amazing job. And I don't think there's a better person out there that could have enacted myself. Well, and there's a lot to capture in you because you have multiple backgrounds that you have to embody. and. What did your parents think, your adoptive parents, when they saw the film? Were they pleased with they, it? They were extremely happy, you know. My mum played by Nicole Kidman. She was wrapped in Over the Moon. And Dad was played by an Australian actor, David Wenham. And I think the balance between all those actors was just perfect. Yeah. And the timing, scream time with those actors were perfect as well. And that's something that I don't know much about, but everyone did a great job. Kudos yeah. to everyone. Yeah, and you were and, happy with um, that. And case to the point, no, everyone loved it. And you know, there's not really much exaggeration they had to do to make this film more Hollywood, was there? I mean, Definitely not. It's it was like, just an incredible miracle that you were able to pull this off. Yeah, it just speaks for itself. The thing about it is that I've never seen a movie, especially the trailer when I see it, that raises the hair on your arms as much as Lion. I'm not trying to burst my bubble here, no. but I'm speaking from the bottom of my heart. It's like, wham. Well, you know, you think every human being on Earth has a journey, and journeys have different directions and bumps in the road and all this. And for many people here at Roots Tech, it might be trying to find birth families yeah. or to connect with earlier ancestors where they're stuck to learn their story, which is part of their own story. I mean, I don't think I've ever run into a story quite like yours. There isn't it's a, anything look, it's like it. It's a very it. colorful journey. Well, you made mention in your speech that, you know, you're hoping maybe to help somebody in your same situation. I'm thinking, how many people could there be like that? Have you ever run into somebody who physically got separated from their family, raised somewhere else, and as a result of your story, was inspired to go and find them? There was actually a story in China where a girl, at the age of, I think, about seven or eight, was kidnapped 
and she was taken to a family which was kilometers away from where she was originally and she saw my story and she used my story to help herself finding her own family and it was in the papers in the media in China and that's a good example amongst thousands of others out there and sometimes you know you don't really hear them because they're the stories all over the place. they're all over the, the stories there to help people and to, uh, to encourage and what you do with it is up to you you don't need to call me you don't need to send me a message it's simply there to help yourself and uh, and take advantage but i bet you when you hear a story like that it's, oh, it's got to be enormously satisfying to you it's, it's definitely your fulfilling. decision to go public of, of, of with course this. you know it, it's good to hear that it shows that people are using my story for the intentions as i originally inception wanted it to be yes and um, and why would you not so we've all become familiar with your story of getting on the train as a five-year-old. Your brother apparently died the night you were separated, yes? Yes, correct. Which uh, had to be tough for you to learn when you got back with your family. Are you still in touch with them? Yes, definitely. You see them often? Yeah, I do. Look, uh, at least twice a year. Okay. And one of the things that I did was buy my mum a house, which was something that we could have ever done. And she's absolutely wrapped. But I do talk to my mum at least once or twice a month, and she does all the talking. And there's been 25 years of separation, and there's 25 years of catching up, and a lot to talk about. So it's a gradual process, but going back to India, it's my heritage. Right. It's an amazing place. There's never a dull moment there. In addition to that, seeing my mum, she's a, an amazing, poetically, eloquently spoken woman. I think I have a bit of her characteristics as well, but she's so fit and she can run rings around me, but at the end of the day, I love seeing her and I wish one day I can bring her over to Australia. When you arrived in the village, you talked about instinctively knowing the way home. And as I recall, when you got home, she wasn't at that home anymore. She had moved, is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Correct. She was a little further down. Was she aware that you were in town that... No, no, no. It was, uh, I went from the Metropolitan where I came um, in the cab and then my legs sort of did what they did to out in suburbia where I was born. And all of a sudden, you know, word spread like wildfire that there is this foreigner wearing <laughs> ASICS shoes Adidas pants with the firebird stripes on the side and a Sacconi sort of uh, top and, and a little bag on the side. And he's going around looking for this particular lady. And before you know it, you know, the whole village knew. Before Within, you even got there? Um, before I got to the door of where I was born. And so it was, I think, um, a unique moment for my hometown that there's a foreigner, but he's not a foreigner. You know, he was born here. So, such a pivotal moment, all that, and so euphoric as well. What was the response of your friends who discouraged you? Because you'd worked so hard on this, you weren't getting anywhere. I mean, India's a monstrous-sized country. I it mean, is from, you know, 350,000 cities yeah. um, to 8,000 train stations. But they're 4, saying, 000. give it up. I mean, you're here now and the future is ahead. Yeah. And obviously when you had that success, were they elated for you? Or were they like, oh boy, now we got the next phase of this. What was their response? <laughs> I think they were quite elated. And you know what? You don't have to let other people make your mind up because right. you've got a brain yourself. Sure. And you should follow your heart, your dreams and your thoughts. 
friends are there just to help you because, you know, they sort of feel that you're a bit of dire straits and not sleeping well and, and they just want to comfort you by saying, hey, well, why don't you just give that up? Because we want to see you happy. But you've got your own journey. Right. And my journey was that I had to find closure, which is something that I sort of never really talked about much to my friends. It was quite personal. And, and, and you know what? My friends now, they're just, like you said, they're extremely elated. And they sort of commend sure. me for what I have done. What is your life like now? Busy, yeah. extremely. What were you but doing before you were doing all the speaking? What was your career? I was I was working from a family business, my adoptive family okay. business, which is to do with hose and fittings and hydraulics and marine sales, retail. And, and now? And now I'm doing a lot of uh, keynote speaking to corporate companies majority of the time traveling to sort of domestic Australia to heaps in, in, in the US, which is amazing. And also, you know, in the UK as well. So that's sort of my life at the moment. Spreading the word out there, almost feeling like the prophet. <laughs> that you've well, got to tell this story to the world to make people believe. Exactly. You've been given that gift, haven't you? Well, I'm very sort of proud to be out there and, and spreading the word out there because, you know, we all need to be uplifted in a time where there's so much negativity. Absolutely. Uh, the draw of family. It's universal. It is, definitely. And it's so strong. Yes. When it comes to family, you should never give up. Well, Saru, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. What an incredible been... uh, story, and thanks for sharing it with the world and inspiring so many people it's who may be looking for something different than you were, but still something just as compelling. Definitely. Wow, what a treat. And coming up next, we're going to talk to Keith from Team Green from Relative Race on BYU TV. And, of course, we're right in the middle of Season 5 of Relative Race from BYU TV, Sunday nights, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific. And uh, i got to tell you, this has been a season, an emotional one. And right now, on the line with me from Los Angeles, from Team Green, it is Keith. How are you, Keith? Hey, I'm good, Scott. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, and uh, it's been really fun to watch you and your brother Marcus, both of you from L.A. We were talking earlier as you were taking your son off to school, and you were talking about nicknames your grandmother had for you. What were some of those? Oh, yeah. Well, growing up, my childhood name my mother gave to me was Looky Lou, because they said <laughs> when I came home, all they can remember is just this big-eyed baby who would just be looking around, you know, observing everything, just real nosy, a real nosy child, always into things. So they called me Looky Lou. Oh, um, that's fun. My grandmother, because I did gymnastics growing up, called me Grasshopper because I would always be flipping around the yard in the grass. Doing flips. So that was another nickname, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you had a close family, and, and that's certainly shown in the show. Through these first four episodes, what has been the most emotional moment for you? Uh, for me, I would say my brother finding his dad because that was – Really the main goal from if anybody can remember, you know, us saying he would love to find his dad. So for me, honestly, I would want to say my brother finding, finding his dad was the most emotional part for me. And for those who don't know, Marcus is your half-brother. You share a mom. And in the very first episode, because you guys are from L.A., really no need to have a driver's license, they found Marcus's dad to drive you around, which had to be crazy that first day. Yeah, that was definitely a surprise, a shocker that came to both of us. We never expected that. Now, the driver was a twist. Now, for the driver to be his dad also, that was even more more crazy. 
And and how's Marcus doing with that now? I mean, obviously the shooting for all this is done, and I'm assuming that they're still very much in touch. Oh, definitely. I believe he's out there right now with his dad, more than likely enjoying seasons of the show, the first few episodes that we've watched. I've seen him actually post it and show me videos of him watching it at home. So I'm sure definitely enjoying our time together. How fun. That's awesome. So how did you guys choose to get on this show? Well, seeing that my brother, he's a performer. He's with um, L.A. Casting, the casting agency out here in Los Angeles. He was looking for some gigs, you know, just to um, perform, make some money and stuff like that. And he came across Relative Race. He saw that they put something up saying that they were looking for people who were looking for their blood family members or biological fathers. So he submitted his story. And I want to say less than 24 hours, we got a call back. They did the phone interview, and he was talking to him, asking him would he be interested in going to the show after, of course, getting his background and story of who he was, where he came from, a mother passing and things of that nature. He wanted to know if Marcus had any relatives who would be interested in going on the show with him to find uh, family members. And I was right there. So, I mean, it was an easy call. Wow. What fun. It's been a life-changing experience, obviously, for both of you guys. No matter what happens, obviously, we don't know who wins the $50,000 at the end. But it's fun to see the competition and obviously a great bond between you guys and the rest of the teams, too. Oh, it definitely is healthy, um, healthy competition. It's a lot of love between us and the other teams. We all actually got connected personally outside of, you know, us being in a competition. We're actually friends on Instagram and, you know, they talk and stuff like that. So we actually became friends with people that we were competitive with at one point in time. He's Keith from Team Green on Relative Race on BYU TV. And uh, Keith, you have a great day and we look forward to seeing how the rest of the season works out. Thank you. You do the same, Scott. I appreciate you, though. And it is time once again to talk preservation on Extreme Genes, America's family history show on ExtremeGenes.com. I am Fisher. I am your radio root sleuth with the Preservation Authority, the one and only Tom Perry from TMCPlace.com. And, Tom, we're going to talk about apps today because there's some new ones out that were not there when we started this show six years ago. And, boy, is it going to save a lot of people a lot of money when it comes to restoring old photographs. What do you got? Oh, it's just amazing through apps and different programs you can buy on your computer. It's absolutely incredible, the algorithms that they have created. In the old days, somebody used to have to bring a photo to us. For an example, there was a funeral coming up, and the best photo of mom that you wanted to use in the obituary had John, one of her sons, standing next to her because it was taken at his wedding. And so he's kind of in the photo, his arms over her shoulder in the photo, and it just wouldn't look good. So they bring it to us, we take out John, we take out his arm, we rebuild her shoulder, we're rushed to do it in a week in time for the funeral and it can cost several hundred dollars. Now with these new apps and this new software, you can do it at home yourself. A lot of them even have auto mode where you click auto and it goes and figures out what you want. For instance, one that's really cool is everybody has an old photo from the 50s. It has Aunt Martha or Grandma Edna in it. And there's a telephone pole growing right out of her head. And you need to remove it. Not her head, but the telephone pole. Right. (laughs) And with this app, all you do is trace over the pole, 
push automatic, boom, it's gone. It takes the background and clones what it thinks it should have been there. And if it's not perfect, you can go in and touch it up yourself. But it's amazing how accurate they are. And, you know, I've seen ads on this uh, all over the place. For instance, if there are a group of people out on the beach and you want to take everybody out except one person, it'll take care of that. And suddenly the ocean looks just absolutely normal. And it's an incredible algorithm. And it makes it look like you're on the beach all by yourself or you have this beautiful photo of you. You take the background out and all of a sudden, hey, there's the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Oh, there's the Taj Mahal all in the background <laughs> behind you. Yeah, exactly. You can do whatever you want. All right, Tom. Great stuff as always. And we'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Hey, that's all we got this week. Thanks for joining us. And remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Genes. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.